afternoon, everyone. This is the Lee Brothers Show on WNTW 92.7 FM, 8.20 AM. And this is Steve Rossi substituting for the Lee Brothers. This is my second time at this gig. I don't know if anyone was out there who listened last time. About six weeks ago, I tried this, and it was a very difficult situation. Scott snookered me into substituting, and I didn't know what I was getting myself into, and he did it again. Christmas Eve. How can you turn someone down on Christmas Eve, right? It's the season of giving, and Scott and Richard needed some help, so um, I guess they were desperate, and they gave me a call and asked me if I'd fill in, and I said, sure, why not? You know, I had had to do them a favor. I was the first, I am the original honorary Lee brother, but it still doesn't come close to being an actual Lee brother. I'm not even a distant cousin for that fact, for that matter. And uh, so it's not really fair for one person to fill four shoes, much less four legendary broadcasting shoes. But I'm going to give it a go and I need your help. So if you give me a call today at uh, 804-454-1366, we're going to talk about all, all sorts of fun things. Of course, you can bring up whatever's on your mind as well. But uh, we have a good show. And because um, I am just one guy and can't fill in those uh, legendary shoes, I got some help. I got three great guests. And if you listened last time, you know I'm a believer in giving some new voices an opportunity. I think in Richmond Radio, we, you know, we have some great broadcasters in, in Richmond, but, and even nationally and statewide. Uh, but you, know, you see these news outlets, and it's the same people all the time. They go to the same so-called experts. I've got three fresh voices, and um, hopefully... They'll shed some light on some topics that I think you're going to find interesting. I'm also going to broach two ideas, very subversive, very revolutionary. So if you like revolution and subversive stuff, stick around. You're going to like, I think, hope I like you like what I have to say. So anyway, that's it. I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas and is looking forward to a uh, great new year, a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. Um, how prosperous, we don't know, because in Virginia, we're um, sitting back waiting for a whole slew of tax increases. And that's one of the topics we're going to discuss um, after 530 with Steve Hayner, who is a senior fellow at the think tank, the Thomas Jefferson Institute. And um, we're going to talk to all the proposed tax increases by the new uh, left wing majority in the General Assembly. We're also this we might find this odd. We're going to talk art, believe it or not. We're going to talk with an, with a, um, an art professor um, about the role of art and in, in, in life and in culture and the importance of it and how, unfortunately, it's been politicized, um, not just in art itself, but in art education. And um, the first, that's going to be um, early in the five o'clock hour. And then also um, in the four o'clock hour, we're going to talk property rights. And that might say, well, what's property rights have to do with anything? You know, it's very important. It's a very foundational issue. If we don't have uh Access to um, owning property without government intrusion, we're in a whole heap of trouble. Um, and um, uh, we're going to have um, a terrific property rights attorney, Josh Baker from the Hampton Roads area, who's going to be on and talk about that. So that's what's coming up today. And I hope um, you stick around. We are at, again, 804-454-1366 if you want to get in on the show. And um, we'd love to hear from you. But first... I want to talk about an idea I have. Um, you know, everyone's gearing up for the 2020 election. But, you know, in Virginia, we always look ahead even further. We look ahead to our gubernatorial election because, um, you know, way back in the day, I think more people voted in the gubernatorial election than the presidential election. Because in Virginia, being governor was, was supposedly no higher honor uh, you could get anywhere than to be the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia. You know, the governor's actually called his excellency. And that's a pretty big, pretty big thing, you know, to be elected governor of Virginia. Um, so, uh, 
a lot of people are already speculating as who was going to run. Uh, Terry McAuliffe, the former governor, is possibly running. The Democrats have a whole slew of people. Uh, Attorney General Mark Herring is going to run. You know, he's got to get over his little blackface issue, but we'll see how that goes. Um, and um, uh, State Senator Jennifer McClellan is being mentioned as a possible candidate. And um, an interesting candidate who is in the House of Delegates, um, she's only been in one term. She just got reelected. And already she's being mentioned. And her last name, I'm forgetting her first name, Carol Foy, Carol hyphen Foy. That's her last name. She's by Delegate, Delegate Carol Foy's being mentioned as a candidate. So the Democrats have all sorts of candidates. Um, who's going to run for the Republicans? We don't know. But the interesting candidate on the Democrat side is Justin Fairfax, the lieutenant governor. You know, he has a lot of legal issues going on. You know, he's been accused of um, sexual assault by two women. And one of the women he allegedly assaulted is um, actually running for um, a California uh, seat in the California legislature. So that's kind of interesting. Um, but it got me thinking, you know, Republicans have had such a hard time winning statewide in Virginia in recent years. There might be a way Republicans can win in 2021. And here's my subversive idea for you guys who, who like this kind of thing. I'd love to hear what you have to th- uh, say about this. So uh, please call us. Let me know what you think. 804-454-1366. This is the idea. It used to be the Republicans always had a state convention to nominate their candidates for statewide office and the Democrats had a primary. Um, The Republicans have gotten away from that and they've had a primary. We've had dual primaries and uh, you go to vote. You have to declare a Republican or Democrat and then you vote. And that's how the parties get their lists. And it's very important. Those lists are very, very important. But I think in May of 2021, the Republicans should have go back to the convention. They should have a statewide convention. Pick the delegates throughout the winter and spring, uh, then have the the convention in late May and pick their candidate that way. Now, why is that significant? Because then all three or 400,000 Republicans who normally would have voted in the primary on the Republican side can still vote in the primary. They can come in and vote in the Democrat primary and vote for Justin Fairfax, who's going to have all sorts of issues. And maybe finally there'll be a weak Democrat candidate for the Republicans to be able to beat. That's a kind of reminiscent of uh, Rush Limbaugh's Operation Chaos several years ago when he was trying to encourage Republicans to vote in the Democrat presidential primaries and uh, get the weakest candidate out there. Um, It worked in some primaries that didn't work overall. Um, But anyway, that is the idea I'm thinking of. And I'm I'm really going to start pushing that. I think the Republicans should, should think about holding a primary in 2021, pick their governor, uh, their candidates for governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, and then free every activist to be able to vote in the Democrat primary and vote for Lieutenant Governor Fairfax to uh, be the nominee. And then finally, the Republicans might have someone they can beat. Just an idea. Think about it. Let me know what you think um, here on uh, 92.7 and 820 a.m. Um the other idea I have, and this will take some elaboration, um, if you think that's kind of a flip idea, okay, this is more serious. One of the reasons Republicans have been losing elections in Virginia since 08 has been because, um, I don't think it's because there are more liberals in Virginia than conservatives. I think there's more liberals who are registered to vote than conservatives are registered to vote. And the evidence of that is in 08, Organizing for America, which was uh, Barack Obama's grassroots activ- activation 
arm of his campaign. They moved into Virginia and several other states to flip them. And they moved in early. And all they did was register people to vote. They registered people to vote for 10 months. And then up to the registration deadline, they, um, after, you know, after the registration deadline came, then they turned into a get out the vote operation. And that's what swung Virginia for the first time in 08 to the Democrat. And um, it worked and they've stayed in Virginia ever since. And that's all they do is register people year round. They're on college campuses. They're everywhere you can think of. And so um, there was an article in the Times Dispatch in October in this most recent um, campaign. And uh, the reporter asked the state Democrat executive director, what the party was doing to register voters. And, and the person said, we're on college campuses. We're at this place and that place. We're at all these different, we're at libraries, we're, um, uh, you name it. And we're registering, we're at DMVs, we're registering people to vote. They asked the Republican and he said, oh, we don't have to worry about that. We're just going to turn out our base and we're going to win. And um, look how that turned out. There's statistics that show you know, everyone thinks, oh, the evangelical Christians, they vote for Republicans all the time. Yeah, they might get a good portion, like maybe 80, 90 percent of those voters, but only about half of those v- people are registered to vote. And even those who are registered don't always turn out. But there's a whole lot of unregistered conservatives. And, you know, with this recent um, outpouring of Second Amendment activism since the election and all the threats of uh, gun regulations and and uh, things to infringe on your Second Amendment rights, there's been a huge turnout, as I'm sure you've all read in the, in the local media, from county to county, from east to west, north to south, all over Virginia, people turning out in thousands to pressure their boards of supervisors into um, passing these Second Amendment sanctuary um, ordinances in cities, counties, and towns across Virginia. And uh, someone was asking me if I was impressed by that. They thought it was such a great thing, all these people. And I said, you know what, where were they in November? And as it turns out, about half of even gun owners aren't even registered to vote. So I have an idea as to how to turn all those people into voters. Um, again, would love to hear your comments on this. Uh, the number here is uh, 804-454-1366. And before I get into what the idea is, I also want to remind everyone, I am subbing for the Lee brothers, Scott and Richard, doing the heavy lifting, one person instead of two. But you can catch up to the Lee brothers. You can see what's um, new with them by going to their website. You can check out um, WNTWTheAnswer.com and click on their name. That'll take you to their webpage, and you can see all sorts of great videos and uh, articles and links. Very, um, very informative, and it's a great website. You ought to check it out when you can. And um, I'd be honored if you followed me on Twitter. I'm S. Rossi, S-R-O-S-S-I-E, at S. Rossi, S-R-O-S-S-I-E, or follow me on Facebook, which is where I do most of my damage on Facebook, and that's uh, Stephen with the P-H, Jude Rossi, again, R-O-S-S-I-E. So if you want to follow me on Facebook, I'd be honored. Um, we're going to come up to a break in a few minutes, but I'm just going to touch on this and we'll come back after the break. So I have this idea. Re- the Republican Party of Virginia is pretty, if there are anyone listening, I'm sorry, I'm just telling the truth. They're pretty irrelevant. I think most people know that, except the people that work there and the people on the Central Committee. Um, They'll go down with the sinking ship, which is what they're already doing. I mean, the ship is already half submerged. Um, I broached a voter registration idea, a, a way to repurpose the entire party apparatus to the state party chairman back in August of uh, 18. And he was very um, um, 
patronizing to me. So then I mentioned my idea again in a public setting to see if he would have that same attitude. And lo and behold, he did. And um, um, what's that? He same had same had the ugh, he had the same attitude. Yeah, even in public, I thought I could get him to maybe own up to some things at a public meeting. But um, I'll get into the details after the break. We're coming up to the break in about a minute. Um, but um, I don't want to get into it then have to cut off. So I'll just remind everyone, check out the Lee Brothers website. You can go to WNTWTheAnswer.com and get all sorts of great information about the station. But click on the Lee Brothers um, name there, and that'll take you to their website where you can see all sorts of videos and links and whatnot, um, um, articles. You can check out their Facebook page too, the Lee Brothers on Facebook. And I'd be honored if you would um, follow me at S. Rossi on Twitter or Stephen Jude Rossi on Facebook. Um, we'll also get into what I do actually after the break as well and why I have some background in this. But um, we're about 30 seconds off. And uh, if anyone wants to call in after the break, let me know or just call us at 804-454-1366. And I'll tell you about how I kind of um, um, endured the belittlement of the state party chairman, although in fact, he's the one that, like I said, is piloting a half, half submerged ship right now. So, um, <laughs> with the mast half underwater, but, uh, we'll get to that after the break and we'll see you on the other side. Lee and Lee, the trial lawyers of political talk radio, the Lee brothers on 820 WNTW. You know, you don't have to spend much time in Washington to appreciate the prophetic vision of the man who designed all the streets there, they go in circles. Okay, welcome back to the Lee Brothers. This is Steve Rossi subbing for the Lee Brothers. And you are listening to 92.7 and 820 AM WNTW, not your father's talk station. And we were talking, or I was talking, about um, how I think the Republicans in Virginia can uh, possibly regain their lost majorities and maybe even elect someone statewide. And it all has to do with something very simple, something very fundamental. And actually, we're going to be talking about a lot of fundamental things about society and politics today. But Basically, the very, you know, the very f- basics of um, campaigns is to have more of your on your side than the other side. That's pretty simple. <laughs> you need more than the other side to win. And um, what's happened in the last, um, uh, let's see, since 08, so the last 11 years, is uh, left-wing groups have come into Virginia and just registered people to vote. Pretty simple. And they've done a good job at it. Whereas conservatives have just kind of sat around and done nothing and kind of hoped the old ways would work. And um, so I, I kind of have been thinking about this for a long time, and I approached some um, groups that I um, either have an association with or lobby for, a lot of nonprofit conservative groups. So I don't think lobbyists is a bad name, by the way. I've been lobbying since the 06 session, and it's all been for nonprofit conservatives, philosophy-driven conservatives, not people looking for special interests or a special break from the government, not looking for a, a handout, um, people believing in pro-life, traditional vam- family values, and um, – uh, transparency in government, low taxes, property rights, all the foundational fundamental things of a um, uh, representative democracy and, and open government and, and free government. And um, so I've learned a lot of things since um, 06 and went into it 
kind of wide-eyed like I am with this radio show and this radio uh, fledgling career. But um, <clears throat> it had to do with um, just observing the other side. You can see them up close and personal what they do. And so um, I thought, you know, it would be a good idea for um, some of these nonprofit groups, some of these conservative groups that do a good job on public policy and whatnot to get together, pitch in a bunch of money, hire some people and let them go at it to register people to vote. And um, it got, I got to thinking even further. It's really out. It's beyond that even. Cause you know, I thought there'd be um, an opportunity where um, they could pull their resources and do this, maybe even as a pilot project somewhere in, a, in one congressional district. But then it got to being where, you know what? That's not what they do. They're policy groups. They're not grassroots groups. So why should they do it? I mean, they should do what they can. Some of them have tried on their own and some are trying again, but that's not what they do. And then it hit me. What does the Republican Party of Virginia do? You know, in Virginia, we don't have limits on campaign donations. And um, and uh, so th- so they, there's no campaign limits. So the state party doesn't um, raise money. They don't do policy stuff. That's what the two caucuses do, the House of Delegates Republicans and the Senate Republicans. They do their policy research and opposition research. So the state party doesn't do any of that. And they don't recruit candidates. The caucus does that, too. So um, I had this idea of repurposing the Republican Party of Virginia into a voter registration machine and decentralize it out of Richmond and get it into the 11 congressional districts and start registering people to vote and turning them out to vote. And then I'm going to tell you about my conversation with the uh, state party chairman about that after a break we have coming up. So just as a reminder, you are listening to 92.7 and 820 a.m. WNTW, The Answer. And this is not your father's talk station. And you can look us up on the Internet, WNTWTheAnswer.com. You can check out the Lee Brothers website there. And you can follow me at S. Rossi at Twitter and Stephen Jude Rossi on Facebook. And we'll be back after this break. James Madison and George Washington would be so proud. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. Okay, this is Steve Rossi filling in for Scott and Richard Lee, the Lee Brothers, on WNTW 92.7 FM and 820 AM. And as I've made clear, I'm still very much a rookie at this, so I'm messing up on some of the timing aspect of all this. Bear with me. If you have any questions, if you want to weigh in on any things I've uh, mentioned today so far, um, either stacking the 2021 Democrat primary and voting for the weaker candidate, or transforming RPV, and I'll I'll get into that even more a little bit later. But you can reach us at 804-454-1366. We're going to be up against another break in about a minute, so I don't want to get too much into it because uh, I'll have to just continue it on the other side. But suffice it to say, I brought this whole idea up to the state party chairman, and one of the answers he gave me was, well, you know, it cost a lot of money to do that, and we just don't have a lot of money right now. And I said, yeah, you don't have money because people don't know what you do. They don't want to give to something that's... That doesn't do anything. So anyway, we're heading to another break. We'll be back on the other side. This is 92.7 FM, 820 AM, WNTW. This is not your father's talk station. In the mold of Madison, Jefferson, and Henry, real Virginians, the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW.
Welcome back to the Lee Brothers. This is Steve Rossi sitting in for Scott and Richard. You are listening to 92.7 FM at 820 AM WNTW. Not your father's talk radio station. And certainly not with me hosting. And certainly not when Scott or Richard are hosting. But um, I was talking about my grand plan to uh, get more conservatives elected. I'm going to have to put that on hold because we are joined by a very special guest. And I'm very pleased to welcome... Josh Baker to our airwaves. Josh is down in uh, Norfolk. He is a terrific, I would say, the best property rights lawyer in Virginia, except his partner, Steve Clark, might be listening, and I don't want to get Steve upset and uh, play favorite. So anyway, Josh is a brilliant mind when it comes to property rights, and he's going to help us. Um, he's going to explain why it's so important and why we should pay attention to it and what the prospects are in this General Assembly for some um, – further advancement in that area. And uh, Josh, welcome to the show. Well, Steve, thank you so much for having me, and, and uh, that was a very kind introduction. <laughs> well, I told you I would have something clever to say, and I guess that's up for the audience to decide. But uh, anyway, um, this is background. Uh, in all seriousness, Josh, um, and for that matter, uh, Steve Clark, I met them through um, a, a law firm, Waldo and Lyle, down in Norfolk. Very accomplished law firm. A lot of times you see their attorneys on Fox and Friends and other shows and they talk uh, they, they talk about the cases that they're working on with some of these outrageous eminent domain cases throughout Virginia and the country and um, uh, they they've really become some of the uh, very uh, some of the intellectual firepower behind drafting really good legislation and it, it wasn't always you know the case where we got good legislation through it, we've had in the last few years we've had some good legislation ensuring people's property rights However, it wasn't always that way, Josh. And, you know, why don't you uh, give the sure. audience a little background sure. as to how things and why things changed? Yeah, well, Steve, you're, you're exactly right. It's not always been a uh, an easy path for property owners in Virginia to have their rights respected and improved at our General Assembly. Um, it, it's been a long, long fight, and uh, many folks have been involved in it and a lot of different organizations. As you mentioned, our law firm has... Uh, has played a, a good role in all of that, but uh, have to have good friends along the way to get that done. And, and so uh, just kind of jumping backward in time, let's go back to, to 2012. And you may remember, Steve, on your ballot in 2012, and that was a, an Obama election, uh, was, uh, was the property rights amendment to the Virginia Constitution. And that Amendment, <clears throat> excuse me, really came about from a uh, about a, a, a about a seven-year effort prior to that to outlaw in Virginia what the U.S. Supreme Court had sanctioned in the Kelo case. That was the case where the U.S. Supreme Court said that it was fine for the little town of uh, of New London, Connecticut, to condemn and take Suzette Kelo's home and all of her neighbors' homes to hand that land over to Pfizer to build a plant, which, of course, they never actually built. The U.S. Supreme Court said that was a fine use of the eminent domain power. That was a public use. Jobs and tax base uh, improvement was, was a public use. We had a, a case, actually had a couple of cases in Virginia where pretty much the exact same thing was occurring, and we fought like heck against those cases. And our courts kind of said, hey, our, our hands are tied in Virginia, that's still allowed. And so 
what happened in uh, 2012 was the culmination of a, of a seven-year effort to get an amendment to the Virginia Constitution passed that, among some other things, but primarily the, the focus was to end these kilo-style takings for economic development and job creation. So in 2012, that ended. Cannot do that in Virginia anymore. Right. And if I could just jump in real quick. Sure. Um, the ironic thing about that was the, in the Kelo decision was that the, the Supreme Court said, yeah, from you know, the federal perspective, we can't jump in on this. This is a state issue. And if the states want to do state constitutional amendments, that's fine with us. But the ironic, the ironic thing is on these other um, amendments, they, they do apply a federal standard. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, but for eminent domain, they left it to the states. Free speech, for example, the First Amendment, that's kind of they've nationalized that basically. So um, that was kind of ironic. And the other ironic thing, well, not the ironic thing, the, the important thing about our amendment was, and you, had, you and the firm had a lot to do with this, was getting a key word in, and Ken Cuccinelli, the attorney general at the time, and people think when you use the word fundamental, it's kind of political rhetoric, but there's a very important legal meaning there, and why don't you explain why, when it, the amendment said uh, property ownership is a fundamental right in Virginia, why don't you take that and explain that part? Sure, yeah, that, that's right, Steve. That, that was one of the changes that was made in our Virginia Constitution was to specifically say that the right to private property is a fundamental right. And that does have special meaning. That does mean that um, that there are additional protections that should attach to the protection of your right to own private property. Uh, that That should call for a higher standard of scrutiny when government action abridges that right. Um, and and uh, and so that should put the protection of, of private property on a stronger footing. Steve, I'll tell you uh, that in response to that, uh, the folks on the other sides of these cases, the uh, lawyers for the government or the utilities who are the ones who are taking property, have said that word means nothing. Hmm. It, it everything in the Constitution is a. Um, is a fundamental right, and there's actually no meaning that we should give to or importance that we should give to the inclusion of that word in the amendment. We've heard that argument. Wow. Um, which is kind of... Uh, That's kind scary, of actually. Um, but they they continually downplay any importance of uh, of that word and, and, and a number of other things in the amendment and, and some of the legislation thereafter. But, you know, aside from even just flat ignoring words in that amendment, Steve, what they've done is um, they have continued to try and find new ways to attack the right to private property. Um, and, uh, and we've seen some pretty inventive ways that they have uh, come at that post-amendment. Um, and so what we've uh, been able to do over the last several years, as you've kind of alluded to, is, is continue that work of strengthening the protections of private property in Virginia. We've done that in a number of different ways, and uh, I'll just kind of touch on a couple of things, and, and I know time's a little short, but happy to dig in on anything you'd like, Steve. But you know, there are a number of things in the process of eminent domain that, have just fundamentally been unfair to property owners who, again, and these, these are folks who have done nothing wrong. They, they simply own property 
in the way of a of a legitimate now public use project that that we're all going to benefit from a road expansion maybe we need to add another lane of traffic maybe we need to build a school all things that are absolutely fine as a public use so those folks have done nothing wrong but they find themselves in a very adversarial <clears throat> excuse me setting and and process and so adversarial so, so, uh, such that steve uh, up until now a couple years ago when the government took your property they didn't even have to tell you they had done it they could go to the courthouse record a document and that was it yeah i remember we we, we addressed that in the general assembly that a couple years ago we did, and, and we had a couple of clients, one in Loudoun County and one down here in Suffolk, city of Suffolk, uh, who did not know their property was no longer their own until they saw the bulldozers for the project coming onto their property. Right, and that That's got some media attention, too. That's right. It got a lot of media attention, uh, and there was video of all that. Um, and uh, and reported, I think, on NBC4 up uh, in D.C. and, and uh, elsewhere. Um, so uh, just very egregious, kind of fundamentally fair uh, types of things that, that since the amendment we've tried to, tried to improve. Um, and uh, that includes a lot of different notice provisions requiring the state or the uh, utilities to give you notice of when they're going to come on your property, mm-hmm. who's going to be there, how many people, what their purposes are, uh, things like that. So it's been a lot of legislative um, activity, I'd say, Steve, over the last several years uh, to kind of supplement and, and continue to strengthen the work that the property rights amendment did. A lot of people kind of thought, hey, we got this amendment passed, that's it. Everything's great, and it's not. There is still a ton of work to be done. One of the biggest things that needs to happen is that all of these different entities need to be put on the same playing field and play by the exact same rules. For instance, the utility companies have managed to keep themselves out of some of the very good reforms of the last couple of years. And how did they do that? Well, Steve, they pay a lot of different lobbies <laughs> to be in Richmond and to make sure that they get special treatment. Well, and you know so, what? When, when the yeah. amendment was being coming within a hair a lick of getting passed, after all those years, like you said, it went nowhere, and we finally got it out of the Senate committee and it was going to the floor, we call that the um, um, lobbyist full employment bill <laughs> Because the utilities went out and got every spare lobbyist who wasn't working on some other issue and put them in there to try to twist some arms and get that thing defeated on the Senate floor. That was pretty amazing. But we, they, we, they, we overcame that, though. They, that, Steve, that's exactly right. They, they tried like crazy. And not only the utilities, but think about this. We had local governments who survive on property taxes mm-hmm. taking that those property tax dollars paying lobbyists to go to Richmond and fight against the property rights amendment. Of their own constituents. Of their own constituents. Yeah, trying to take the rights away of their own constituents. It was was pretty nasty, actually. Their tax dollars to do it. Just disgusting. Well, listen, uh, just to give you a heads up, we got a minute and then, but we can hold you over if you have a couple more minutes on the other side of the break. And, um, and, uh, but but before we go, real quickly, 
we have talked about this before. It's what's what's fascinating is a lot of issues people talk about being bipartisan. The opposition to property rights is bipartisan. It's pretty crazy when you get Republicans and Democrats listening to their local governments. I'll never, you know, I go into these offices and I ask about a bill and they'll, you know, whether it's education or property rights. And first thing I hear is, well, my local governments are telling me this. Like, you don't represent the local governments. You, re- there's like seven people on your board of supervisors. You represent, you know. 60,000 constituents, not the seven people on the board of supervisors, but we've got about 10 seconds. Josh, can you hold on through the next break? And I, I can. Okay. Absolutely. Good deal. Folks, we'll be back. You're listening to 92.7 FM and 820 AM WNTW. This is not your father's talk station. We'll be back after this break. James Madison and George Washington would be so proud. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. <laughs> Welcome back to the Lee Brothers, everyone, and uh, Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and any other holiday you're, you're celebrating. Um, we, we're very flattered you're listening to us today. Or I know I'm not the Lee Brothers, but I'm getting there, hopefully. My name is Steve Rossi. I'm subbing for Scott and Richard. You're listening to 92.7 FM, 820 AM, WNTW. This is not your father's talk station. We hope you're enjoying your, your holiday season. And... Um, um, I could talk all day. That'd be a good topic, Mr. Producer. The peanuts. That's I love peanuts. That, that's a whole different subject there. But I, I could talk all day about peanuts. Um, we are talking not peanuts. Some something serious with uh, Josh Baker, who's a terrific property rights lawyer down with the firm Waldo and uh, Lyle down in uh, Norfolk. Um, they handle cases all over the Commonwealth, from the Southwest to Northern Virginia to Southside. Uh, wherever property is threatened, and they do a terrific job. But more than Legal minds, they're very, um, they're the intellectual firepower, a lot of the attorneys there on some of the great bills that we've gotten passed and even the property rights amendment um, back in 2012 as we've been talking about. So, Josh, welcome back. Thanks for staying over the break. And uh, if you can just pick up, we were talking about the opposition to um, letting people, oh, my God, own property is uh, not really by party. It's really by institutions and local governments and utilities are some of the biggest opponents of uh People holding on to their property or at least getting a fair compensation when, in fact, eminent domain is absolutely called for. Steve, you're, you're exactly right. It, it is a bipartisan issue on the pro and the anti side of property rights. Uh, that's been our experience in Virginia. I think that kind of holds up across the country. But in, in Virginia, what we've seen is that it is not necessarily a Republican or Democrat divide on these issues. Um, there's been a lot more maybe um, metropolitan and, and agricultural or, or rural area divide. Um, t- speaking, of course, about the 2012 amendment, the Farm Bureau was the greatest champion uh, at the grassroots level of, of the 2012 property rights amendment. The Farm Bureau uh, funded all those green vote yes signs that everybody saw across the Commonwealth. Um, but the the bipartisanship of it has been an interesting thing to uh, to kind of observe. And you know, without uh, there are four or five Democratic senators you know, who crossed party lines in, in 2012 and saw that we actually won the uh, won the. Uh, vote to get that property rights amendment out of the Senate. But it has been bipartisan uh, in in the pro and, and anti positions. The, 
kind of allegiances have been interesting when kind of dig into uh, who's maybe receiving more campaign contributions from a utility or uh, maybe listening, as you were saying there, before the break, maybe a little too closely to their local uh, government officials who, of course, aren't, aren't necessarily in favor of, uh, of treating folks fairly when they have to take property. And that's what the Constitution points us to, is that when we truly need to take property for a true public use, then everybody's supposed to pay their fair share. And that doesn't mean that the folks from whom we're taking property should forego a penny of what they're owed. Right. Or should they get a penny more than they're owed? Right. But, but we're supposed to all be equally sharing the cost of that improvement. And I'll just say, as we kind of wrap this segment up, Josh, we appreciate your time so much. But um, just to illust- further illustrate the divide between the institutional forces and the people, for seven years they bottled this up and refused to let it to go on the ballot. When it finally got on the ballot, it got 75% of the vote. And this was during um, a, a, an Obama victory um, in Virginia. That's right, Steve. And I, and, uh, here, I, and I always say, look, if you've got – and it passed at different percentages, and you can go look at by county. But in Arlington County and in Alexandria, it passed at over 60% approval. And I always say, if the socialists up there in Northern Virginia <laughs> can pass a property rights amendment at that kind of number, we we should have some hope for the republic. Right. So uh, I, I, I do think it's a fundamental issue. Property rights, Steve, if you tick down the Bill of Rights, and think to yourself, well, what of these can I do if I'm not secure in my ownership of private property? I don't think you're going to find anything that you can do. Right. Because if you don't have property, they can come in. They can stop you from worshiping. They can take your guns away. They can do whatever they want if you don't have property. And it also, um, it also, we have a minute, but, you know, if you put a restraint on the government as to what they can do about taking your property, then you're also putting limits on government, which is always good. But if you don't have that, then you talk about expanding government. How big will government be if they can just come in and take your property at will? So it's pretty scary. But um, thank goodness we do have the amendment, and it is a fundamental right in Virginia. And um, Josh, thank you for all your hard work, uh, much less being with us this afternoon. And um, thanks for all the work you and Steve and Jeremy and all you guys down there at Waldo and Lyle do. And uh, we'll be seeing you, I'm sure, during the session. Well, Steve, it's a pleasure to be with you today and, and appreciate uh, your commitment to the issue and, and so many of, of the listeners here, too, who, who know that this is a, a pivotal issue. And we've got to continue to ensure that property owners are treated fairly in Virginia. Terrific. Thanks, everyone. That's Josh Baker from the firm Waldo and Lyle down in Norfolk, um, one of the preeminent property rights lawyers in Virginia, explaining why it's a fundamental right for us to be able to own property in the Commonwealth. We got to take a break. We'll be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to 92.7 FM at 820 AM WNTW, not your father's talk station. We'll be back in a minute. Where a comedy act and a serious thought collide. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. You know, I got to say, producer Mark is brilliant. I mean, he's so intuitive. He picks up on what the host likes. And, uh, you know, he, he, he learned real quick that I'm a Peanuts fan. And, um, man, I went to see the exhibit at the Historical Society. Absolutely terrific. Um, if you're a Peanuts fan or even if you're, you know, 
borderline Peanuts fan. It's a great exhibit. It's going to be here through mid-January, so I still have a chance to get it all about the Peanuts and uh, the Christmas special and all that. This is Steve Rossi trying, attempting, desperately attempting to fill in not just one pair of legendary shoes, but two pairs. The Lee brothers are on vacation this week, and um, they have uh, asked me, and I have humbly accepted this uh, large responsibility of hosting their show by myself, doing the work of two people. You are listening to 92.7 FM, 820 AM, WNTW, and we're um, glad you're tuning in and hope you're enjoying your holiday season, your Christmas season, and um, hope you have a healthy and happy and prosperous new year. Prosperous is going to be difficult in the new year with all the taxes that are going to come our way with the new Democrat majority in the legislature. And we're going to talk about that with Steve Hayner later in the five o'clock hour, just to give you a preview. Also coming up in the next hour is going to be, you're probably thinking, why are we talking art? Well, you'll find out why art. You probably thought, well, what's the big deal with property rights? Art's a big deal too. And, um, how it has influences our society and our culture. We're going to talk to a professor, uh, Philip Bowles, who's the artist in residence at Franciscan University, a really great liberal arts university in Ohio. And, um, so we're going to get some, uh, feedback on that. And then also at the top of the hour, I will finally get back to finishing my story. Please forgive me for this, this, um, you know, abrupt starting and stopping of this story. It's a rookie mistake, but I'm learning as I get used to this, uh, radio thing here. But um, I think we got about a minute left before the hard break. I'll just remind everyone to uh, check out those stations' website, WNTWTheAnswer.com. All sorts of great things there. You can learn about the hosts and the, the, the programs, goals on all the hot topics going on around the Commonwealth and the country. And um, if you so desire, if you haven't had enough of me yet, you can follow me on Twitter, S. Rossi, that's at S-R-O-S-S-I-E, or um, on Facebook, where I do a lot of my damage, so to speak. That's Stephen with the PH, Stephen Jude Rossi. And um, look me up. I'll be glad to uh, friend you back or you can just follow me. So um, we're heading back to the holiday music thing. Thank you, uh, Producer Mark. And uh, we'll be back in a little bit. We got about, uh, we got the top of the hour break coming up and we'll be back with some really good stuff. Art and taxes. That's a great combination. And voter registration. Don't forget that. So this is Steve Rossi, subbing for Scott and Richard, the Lee Brothers. You are listening to 92. Get me my lawyer! I've been humiliated! Poor, poor Sally. She always gets a raw deal, doesn't she? Or in her mind, she does, anyway. Welcome back to the Lee Brothers. You are listening to 92.7 FM at 8.20 AM. I am Steve Rossi, humbling, humbly sitting in for Scott and Richard Lee. And you are listening to WNCW, not your father's talk station, not at all. Especially when the Lee Brothers are here, and even to some extent when I'm here. But um, I'm uh, honored to be back filling in for Scott and Richard, and we've got a great hour lined up. I can't do this by myself. It's one guy trying to do the work for not just two people, but two legends. So I've lined up two guests to help me get through the next hour. Um, Philip Bowles, who was um, the artist in residence at a great university, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. And um, if you're wondering why we're talking art, we'll explain why art's important in the culture. And um, Steve Hayner, who has just been around public policy in Virginia for a long time. He's with the Thomas Jefferson Institute. He's going to Oh, boy, you're going to be scared when you hear about all the tax increases um, the Democrats are proposing. And it's um, 
pretty scary, actually. People, you know, wish you um, have, have a happy and healthy and prosperous new year. It's going to be hard to have a prosperous new year in Virginia with all the taxes that are going to be coming our way. But before that, I want to go back to something I was talking about in the first hour. And, you know, being a rookie at this, my timing is off. I don't have all the, the, the great timing that the pros like Scott and Richard have. So I'm going to go back to, to what I was talking about before um, we uh, took the break for that really great interview with um, Josh Baker uh, to talk about property rights and why it should be such a fundamental value and a fundamental part of our laws and system of governance in Virginia. And I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, but the reason why we lost or we conservatives lost the election uh, this past year in Virginia, the it's quite simple. You can have all this analysis about who did what in this district and the turnout of this group or that group. No, 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 no. It comes to one thing. Politics is very simple. And it's really funny. Abe Lincoln understood this. You look at some of the things he wrote about the machinations and the electioneering of, of getting people elected. Pretty interesting. He understood it. And it's just having more on your side than the other side has. I mean, it's pretty simple. And you can't do that when you're just sitting around on your hands and the other side is deploying Dozens and dozens and dozens of people at universities and other locations, other places where they can find people who are um, – we don't have party registration in Virginia, but you can guess uh, and screen people and find out how they um, lean and then get them to register to vote. And so the Republican Party of Virginia sits there in this really nice building on Gray Street. It's called the Oban Chain Center, named after a great man. And um, But what do they do there? No one knows. And I'm not just saying this – because I think I have an idea that'll work that was dismissed by the state party chairman. But I hear this from everyone I talk to. I, whenever I mention Republican Party of Virginia, I get this derisive laugh or chuckle, followed by, they don't do anything, they're useless. I'm serious, I am not making this up. That's exactly the, you know, if they want to do a poll, that's exactly what they're going to find. And it's pretty simple. Some of it isn't their fault. It comes down to a couple of things, as I mentioned earlier briefly. Number one, there's no limits on campaign contributions in, for Virginia elections. So you don't need a party structure like you do the national party because you're limited in how much you can contribute to a congressional candidate or a Senate candidate or a presidential candidate. So the national parties collect money and turn it around and use it to help their candidates. That's not necessary in Virginia. So they, they don't have that. They don't do media relations. Really, everything is done in the two caucuses, the House of Delegates Republican Caucus and the Senate Caucus. They recruit the candidates. They do the opposition research. They do the media. The consultants that they hire... Yeah, they leave a lot to be desired, too, but they do a lot of the media stuff. The state party doesn't do anything except organize mass meetings and primaries, and they do the, you know, the structural work for that. So my idea was to decentralize the, the state party. Instead of having an office in Richmond, which they can still keep the office, it's paid for, they can keep it and have you know, some people working there, but to break out their employees and send them to each of the 11 congressional districts in Virginia and do nothing but year-round register people to vote. And they, the, the, the staff wouldn't be the people registering. That, that's, the, that's the thing. The guy totally misunderstood that, and I try to tell him, no, this is what they do. They find the volunteers who have an affinity with the groups that we're targeting. For example, I mentioned it earlier, evangelical Christians vote in huge numbers for the conservative candidates. I mean, President Trump got, in, in some states, owed his election to uh, the turnout of evangelical Christians. However, only about half of evangelical Christians are registered to vote. That's a fact. We're leaving tens of thousands of votes in Virginia on the table there um, by not having these people register. And 
Granted, they're not going to take kindly to some political hack coming into their church and do a voter registration job. That's not what I'm saying. I'm told the state party chairman, the, the staff person would find elders in those churches in various congressional districts, various House of Delegate districts, various state Senate districts. Someone who has a leadership who's well thought of, highly thought of to go in and they would train those people. And then those people would do the voter registration drive because it's something that, that someone they know and look up to gun rights owners. Get the guy who's been the instructor at the local shooting range or the gun shop or the manager of the gun shop. Train him how to do it and then have him register these people. to vote. And then the coordinator, the other thing they would do, these coordinators, they would collect all the, the um, voter registration forms and uh, collate them, get them to the state board of elections, get them to the local registrar, wherever they need to go. And then they would be part of the um, voter, the voter turnout operation once um, November turns around, um, comes up. So it'd be a year round thing and it's not inventing the wheel. The left is doing it. They've been doing it in Virginia since 08. And you can see how the results have, um, matched their activity. No statewide wins in Virginia since then, or even before then, but certainly not since then. And now they have everything. They have both us senators, a majority, of the congressional delegation, governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, now the house of delegates and the Virginia Senate. And what I told that I won't mention his name, y'all can look him up. I don't want to totally embarrass him. But the state party chairman, I told him privately, I told him this idea. And he actually told me that that would cost money. And we don't have a lot of money. And I said, well, the reason you don't have a lot of money is you don't have a purpose. People don't contribute to something they, there's, that's purposeless, that's directionless. But if you had a purpose and a plan, and I said, what's the point of the party? What, what is the party for? Well, to get our candidates elected. Yeah, great. Now, how do you get candidates elected? You have more voters than the other side. That's the most fundamental way to get people elected. You have more voters than the other side. How, what better way to get your candidates elected? And he said, well, you know, there's a group in Southwest Virginia that's doing that kind of thing. And we've given them a grant to try in another congressional district. And I said, that's a nonprofit group. They're not equipped to do this. And he said, well, you know, we'll vote. And this is where he thought I was a, a hayseed or something. You know, he didn't, either he thought I was an idiot or he's an idiot. One of the two, because he said, well, you know, a vote in Southwest Virginia counts as much as a vote in Fairfax. And I said, how many delegate seats are in Southwest Virginia? I mean, I think they have as many delegate seats in one neighborhood in Fairfax as they do in all of Southwest Virginia. Prince William, Loudoun, Fairfax, Henrico, Chesterfield, Virginia Beach. The Republicans had a 65-35 majority just two years ago in the House of Delegates. Now... They have about a, whatever it's going to be, four, five, six seat minority. And that's happened in two years, in 17 and in 19. And this guy keeps saying, oh, well, you know, we got to do, keep doing things the same way. You blockhead. Exactly. Sally knows what she's talking about sometimes. And, and I just can't, I couldn't get over the, his attitude toward this. So I actually brought this up at a public meeting to see, you know, maybe he would, you know, didn't want to. Thought maybe, you know, you do it in public, it's a little bit different because then he has to be a little bit more open to it and not sound like a blockhead. <laughs> I was waiting for Mr. Producer to cue the blockhead you up. Blockhead. There you go. Um, but he he held his ground, which is simply a stunning. You are starting to annoy me. Yeah, I probably am. But hey, the truth annoys a lot of people. So um that's my plan, and I think it's a decent one. And I tell it to every unit chairman I know or meet because the unit chairman 
sit on the state central committee and they have the ultimate votes and they could repurpose if there's enough of this movement. And I hear someone with the Tea Party who's has high up in the Tea Party likes the idea and has been broaching it to some unit chairs up in other parts of the state. And hopefully it's getting some traction. But it'd be great if we had some grassroots support for this. And um, tell your local unit chairman, we need to transform and tr- and repurpose RPV. And uh, tell me what you think. We're open, have open lines at 804-454-1366. And I'm sure I'm leaving something out about that conversation. But um, <laughs> um, we're coming up on a break and we're going to talk something completely different, but something very worth talking about Um It's art and its purpose and why it's important for the public and why we should pay attention to it. And that's coming up uh, after the break at 515. So I want to remind everyone, please check out the website, WNTWTheAnswer.com. Check out the shows. Check out the Lee Brothers website. You can uh, follow me at S-R-O-S-S-I-E on Twitter or Stephen Jude Rossi. That's Stephen with the P-H, Rossi, R-O-S-S-I-E on Facebook. I'd be honored if you follow me there. And uh, you're listening to... 92.7 92.7 FM and 8.20 AM, The Answer. And this is not your father's talk station. Lee and Lee, the trial lawyers of political talk radio. The Lee Brothers on 8.20 WNTW. We've seen a light in the darkness, bright and clear. Suddenly all we have longed for feels so Welcome back to the Lee Brothers, everyone. This is Steve Rossi sitting in for Scott and Richard. You are listening to 92.7 FM at 820 AM WNTW. We're so pleased you're with us this afternoon and spending your afternoon with us. And hopefully you're enjoying the last Friday of 2019. And, um, you know, funny that it's Friday because in Richmond... Um, Fridays are a big deal in the art world. The first Friday art walk, it's great. You have these galleries all over the fan and downtown that are open. And then fourth Friday, these couple of huge galleries in um, old Manchester area that are great. And um, third Friday, every other month is another uh, gallery that's a mega gallery with all sorts of uh, galleries within the building. And there's just all sorts of things to do on Friday nights um, in Richmond for art. And um, I go to them, and it's really weird because when politics does come up, of course, I'm in the great minority. I mean, huge minority. It's interesting how um, – but, you know, there are conservatives even in the art world, and there are people that have a really great philosophical bet and know why it's important for the general culture. And we're very privileged to have Philip Bowles with us on the line. He is um, the artist in residence for two years now at um, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, which is a great liberal arts school. Um, encourage anyone to look it up if you have uh, sons or daughters getting to be that age, graduating from high school. And um, Philip, welcome to the yes. show. Oh, thanks, Steve. I'm honored to be here. Well, great. Glad you could join. I know you professors have such a busy life and, you know, you're always on the go. I'm glad you could take some time from, you know, your cigar parties and all that other <laughs> stuff. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, that's that's no, that's great. I'm um, very happy to be here, and uh, Merry Christmas, by the way. Merry Christmas to you. <laughs> Listen, um, let's get in. I've been prepping the audience. That a lot of people are like, "Why are they talking about art?" I believe, <laughs> and I, you know, because they talk, you know, the, Scott and Richard, talk, they're talking about hardball political stuff a lot of the times, and I know they sure. talk about cultural things as well. But you know, it's my belief, and I'm sure you'll agree. But you can elaborate on why. Just instinctively, I know you know, that art is very important because, you know, God created this great, big, beautiful planet. And, you know, art's supposed to reflect beauty, at least in my view. 
And um, it doesn't seem to do that anymore. But I'll just leave it at that and let you um, expound on it if you if you um, kind of want to take that yeah. and run with it. And even and even the politicalization of art and in the classroom and elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, that uh, the po- political, you know, world has kind of crept into art. Uh, it's been there actually for a while now. But um, but actually, before getting to that, yeah, I mean, art is. um I mean, yeah. How do you put a price to it? I mean, it's it's essentially it's it's foundational. I mean, you look at uh, art as an example of uh, shows that a, a society existed. I mean, if we're looking at it from a you know art historical point of view, I mean, um, we look at the culture. We see, you know, we 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 put together how they lived based on the art they created, paintings, sculptures, you know, things like that. And, um, and so it's, you know, uh, the cave paintings in Lascaux in France. I mean, that's early man. And what's he doing? He's communicating. He's creating images, uh, paintings on cave walls. He's, um, he's being creative. He's communicating. And so, um, I think, you know, it's, it's there and it, and it's been there since the beginning. Um, so I think that's, you know, obviously, you know, very important to, to consider when, when thinking about art. Um, also, uh, we live in a, unfortunately, a very, um, uh, utilitarian, uh, society. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, you could ask yourself, okay, well, what is the use of art? Um, but, but, you know, in fact, if, if we look at it in another way, um, we, there are a lot of things that we would consider useless that are actually very useful. So you could ask, you know, what's the use of a, what's the use of friendship? Uh, what's the use of a baby? Uh, how useful are you when you're sleeping? <laughs> so it turns out that actually these 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 things that we may consider, I say we, I'm speaking in you know obviously very generalized broad sense. The culture mm-hmm. uh, as a whole, um, uh, you know, um, they would they would maybe consider these things useless, um, but they actually are very useful. Um, so I think art falls into that category where you may say, well, why? You know, why do I need this painting or why, why is this sculpture here? Why focus on that? Well, um, because, um, it, you know, it can, it reveals, the artist reveals man to man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so the artist can reveal, um, the, uh, you know, the humanity that we, that we share, um, and, uh, hopefully can elevate that humanity through, through the artwork and through beauty. And you just, exactly, you just nailed, nailed it with the, um, talking about elevating, Humanity. Um, yeah. And, and I know that, you know, political statements, societal statements, cultural statements have always been made through art. I mean, throughout the history. Mm-hmm. I mean, you see things in even these great paintings, you see things in there. And like the, the, the artist is trying to send a message by, you know, um, including something or maybe not including something. And I understand that. That's all part of it. Sure. But that's all part of the beauty and the also the um, intrigue, which gets people thinking. What we've got yeah. today, though, and, and this all goes back to when I was um, a fledgling um, uh, fiction writer, and uh, <laughs> you know, in college, and the, and the guy with the professor stressed was show not tell, show not tell. Even in writing, show not tell. Instead of saying, you know, instead of um, trying to the writer describing some, you know, saying that the guy had a um, that one of the characters had a nervous tick or something like that, put him in a situation where that. Where that, where that comes into play, and then the reader knows this guy has got a nervous tick, just as a poor example off the top of my head, and how it might affect something. But instead of just telling and beating people over the head with it, that doesn't leave yes. anything to their imagination. And, and in the same thing, what I started noticing about 10 years ago, and maybe went, I'm sure it went beyond that, but 
the the statements weren't had nothing to do with art. They were these blatant statements. And you would have this, you know, fairly nice painting about something. And then you would have the, the artist would in words write something across you know, the painting. <laughs> yeah. And otherwise yeah. the painting is nice, but then you'd have like Savor trees or something. I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, and he's getting yeah. galleries. And I've even talked to gallery owners who are like these, these recent stu- uh, grads out of um, art schools. Um, and you, you know, you've taught at VCU as well. And they like demand mm-hmm. that their work get into galleries right away, right after, right out of college. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that's a world that I don't, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, so, so with my training, more traditional training, uh, uh, that's a world that I don't fully understand though. Uh, what, what I mean by fully understand is, 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 uh, is the mentality behind it. The, the mentality of, you know, scrawling, save the trees over mm-hmm. a, a painting or, you know, um, that tends to, um, you know, they throw around all these terms nowadays. I think, believe it or not, and, and don't ask me to explain this phrase, but we're apparently we're, it, we're temporary now. <laughs> I'm not sure how you're, you're post-contemporary, but I, I, had, I had read that that's sort of the, the period we're in now, that they're, they're grouping things. But, um, but anyway, yeah, so, um, yeah, that kind of thinking, you know, that's, so that's more conceptual, right? It's, it's like you said, you, you hit the viewer over the head. Uh, you almost have to explain what you're, what you're, what you're trying to say uh, in your piece rather than, rather than exercising that creativity to... Uh, like you said, uh, 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 reveal something about a character through through a, a scenario, or or arrange a, a compose a painting in such a way where the composition reveals something about um, the, the 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 subject matter, mm-hmm. something that maybe the viewer hadn't thought about before. Or, or you know, there's there's way there are more creative ways to to um, to to do that. Um, uh, and conceptual art, I find, generally tends to, like you said, it just sort of hits you over the head with it. Um, and, and, you know, I think there is, to, to a certain extent, a lack of creativity. It, it's come down to shock value. Mm-hmm. And um, if you can shock the viewer, uh, you've, you've done your job. Um, but that's sort of, you know, where's the creativity there? And where does it leave, um, where does it leave the, uh, the, the community, for example, that that work is on display? And, you know, it doesn't really elevate yeah, or... or um, not at all or add to the conversation about anything. It's just, like you said, shock, and it doesn't do anything. And, you know, I like, I like photography myself because, you know, photography, it's, these days you can manipulate things. But generally, I mean, it is, it is what it is, and mm-hmm. you can appreciate nature. And like I said in the beginning, God created this beautiful world, and, you know, I think art should reflect beauty within the world and get people thinking about beauty and how, you know, yeah. but anyway— I'm I'm st- stammering right now. We're up against yeah, a break. Yeah. If you could hold on through the break, if you don't mind, for a couple of minutes after, we'll wrap yeah, this sure. up. Great. That, we're we're with great. we're with Philip Bowles, um, artist in residence at uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, talking about the importance of art and this you know Christmas season where we see so much art, traditional art, the Madonna and Child, for example. It's good to kind of get back to the what art really should reflect on and. Um, you are listening to 92.7 FM, 820 AM. This is Steve Rossi substituting for the Lee Brothers on WNTW. This is not your father's talk station. We'll be back after this break. Richmond's conservative compass, the Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW.
Welcome back to the Lee Brothers. This is Steve Rossi substituting for Scott and Richard Lee on 92.7 FM, 820 AM, WNTW. Certainly not your talk, your father's talk radio station. And I'm honored to be here subbing for Scott and Richard. And I appreciate the opportunity. And I'm so pleased they asked me to do this. Um, we're joined by Philip Bowles, who is um, the artist in residence for the last two years at uh, Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, one of the great liberal arts colleges. If you haven't heard of it, please look it up. Um, if you have a son or daughter getting to be college age, you may want to um, look into sending them there. Um, at least as long as Philip's there anyway, right? Um, <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're talking art and why, you know, this time of year, um, it seems to have some sort of resonance. You know, you go into to churches and you see oh, yeah. these beautiful, you know, paintings, stained glass windows, sculptures, all sorts of things. And even in the public square, there's still beautiful art. But um, unfortunately, we're getting a lot of things that are uh, politicized. And um, it kind of starts with everything at the beginning. And um, Philip, what, what do you see in, in education and in, in how, you know, you, know, you think of how, like you study political science or history. There's always a slant there. We know there's liberal professors in colleges. But what about in the art mm-hmm. world and art education? How does the left influence things there? Yeah, well, unfortunately, um, you know, technical training, and what I mean technical training is the sort of the Renaissance era uh, master and apprentice where you're, you're really building a skill set. You're a, you're a craftsman, um, and you're really learning the rules of drawing and painting. And, and that tradition carried on uh, for centuries, uh, um, up until the 19th century. And then um, the 20th century had the modernist detour. <laughs> um, now I'm, I'm oversimplifying, of course, there's much more to it, obviously, but but um, uh, and that has continued in today, the 21st century. Um, but but um, beginning in the uh, 80s or so, um, there are a number, and even a little bit earlier, there are a number of young painters who were trying to. And this this will address the issue of education. I got, um, you got about 15 seconds if you can. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I'm about to go on this story. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, skill based, um, they're not really teaching skills, right? Um, and that's what's needed. And so there are artists who uh, have decided to um, create what they call ateliers, which is right. just French for workshop school. Thanks for your time. We'll get, we'll have you on <laughs> another time. We'll be, we'll be back after the break, everyone. Richmond, the home of Patrick Henry, Richard Henry Lee and the Lee brothers, 820 WNTW. Brothers, everyone, you are listening to 92.7 FM and 820 AM WNTW. This is Steve Rossi substituting for Scott and Richard. Thanks for sticking with us through the afternoon. And we hope you're having a wonderful uh, Christmas season and a happy new year coming up. And um, we've uh, talked a lot of different topics today. And uh, we're coming up on one that um, in this last half hour that uh, everyone can identify with. It's about taxes. We've got some, some big ones coming up or being proposed. Uh, got a lot of things being proposed in the General Assembly this year now that there's a new makeup and a lot of things that would have been um, eh, dead on arrival might get all the way passed into law. And uh, to talk about some of these things and maybe some of the other types of bills, um, and in particular, one tax in, in particular, but uh, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Let me introduce our next guest. Steve Hayner is um, 
a longtime GOP strategist and a lobbyist. He's been around the Capitol for a lot of years. I don't want to date him or anything, but he, he knows a lot of the players down there and he knows what goes on and how things get done. And uh, he is um, now the um, senior fellow for state and tax policy at the Thomas Jefferson Institute, a public policy think tank based here in Virginia. And he's done a lot of great work over the years. And, I, you know, he, he and the TGI, TJI worked a lot on the uh, tax reform bill that passed last year that uh, was responsible for uh, rebating some money. If you paid, you got a, got a uh, couple checks back if you were single or, or dual filers, depending on that. And so uh, we're glad to welcome Steve Hainer to the show. Steve, you there with us? I am. Thank you, Steve. Hey. Uh, good to talk to you. It's been a while. It has been. And I um, uh, appreciate you taking some time out of your uh, Friday afternoon to join us. There's a lot of stuff going down, coming down the pipe, but um, I'll just jump into the thing that um, uh, the Thomas Jefferson Institute uh, released today, a new poll, which was very interesting. It was a poll to kind of refute the polls by the other side who were proposing a carbon tax, and they put out a poll saying how popular this thing was. But kind of funny thing on the way to publishing their poll numbers, they didn't ask all the needed questions. And um, you guys had a, have a poll that Mason Dixon, who's a great and very reliable polling firm, I used to call them the gold standard, um, came out with an interesting poll. And uh, you want to take us through that? Well, again, uh, what we're talking about is called the Transportation and Climate Initiative, TCI. And it's gotten very little attention in Virginia. Up in New England, it's a huge political battle. Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, they're fighting over this big time with their upcoming General Assembly. But here in Virginia, it's very quiet. But this is very much a Virginia issue as well. The Transportation and Climate Initiative is an interstate compact. Virginia all the way to Maine, although New Hampshire may now pull out. But Virginia all the way to Maine, including D.C., they will all agree to, number one, impose a carbon tax on gasoline and diesel, and number two, agree to ration. Every year, the amount of gasoline and diesel for sale will go down several percentage points, still to be determined, but there will be a rationing system. So uh, as a prelude, prelude to rolling this out, their goal is 2022. They did a poll earlier this year and announced how popular it all was and everybody thought it was a great idea, but they failed to mention that it was a carbon tax. So we replicated some of their we replicated their main question, which was, do you like the idea of reducing carbon emissions and having a clean economy and you know moving towards electric vehicles? And of course, the public loved that idea. Sixty some percent said that was a great idea. But then we turned around and said, now, do you, how do you feel about it if there's an 18 cent per gallon gas tax associated with paying for it? And it just collapsed. The support went from 31% down to, I mean, 61% down to 34%. Right. It went, down in, it went down in Northern Virginia. It went down in Central Virginia. It went down among Democrats, although Democrats still favored it with 53%. And it went down, you know, pretty much across the board. So they never tell you what it's going to cost. And that's the important question. You know, it, it, everything, every time you ask about the benefit, you also have to ask about the cost. Right. And I found some of those polling numbers astonishing. Independence, it dropped from 63% to 31%. And uh, right. in all the major metro areas, like you mentioned, Northern Virginia, 76%, 30, 44% Richmond well, metro. Well, here, 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 you know, and again, in December, about, about the middle of December, they finally came out with some details. And again, Virginia is part of this. As far as we know, the General, the General Assembly is going to be asked to approve this or 
Governor Northam may just do it on his may try to do it on his own and just have Virginia do this on its own, but with you know without without getting the general assembly's approval. But at the same time, uh, you know it's it's uh, it's a huge tax increase of potentially seventeen tenths account. When they announced in, on December seventeenth some of the details, they released the draft memorandum of understanding Virginia would have to sign. But they also said to get a twenty five percent reduction, which is which is a fairly modest goal, really a twenty five percent reduction. They would need a seventeen cent, the equivalent of a seventeen cent gas tax, hmm. and you have to keep that in mind. Keep in mind that the governor has also proposed another twelve cents, so we're talking a twenty nine cent combined gas tax by twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three. Wow, twenty nine to thirty cents combined. Part of it for roads, and part of it for all this green new deal stuff. I know it's early on, but you mentioned um, that he might try to do it on his own. Have you looked into any? constitutional authority he has. It seems like that would be ripe for a court challenge if he tried to institute a tax increase without the legislature's approval. Yeah, it, it, would, it would be our position that it is a tax increase, and a tax increase would have to be approved by the General Assembly. It's not a fee. It's not for a specific service like, you know, fishing license or, or uh, so you can't just increase it by fiat. You'd have to have a General Assembly bill allowing you to increase, create the tax. And again, it, it also includes a rationing scheme that would be imposed on all the wholesale companies in Virginia selling fuel. So that can't be done, we don't think, by administrative rule. Right, and that, would, reason, yeah. that would raise the prices too, right? Anytime you ration something, that's going to jack it from a market perspective. Uh, again, it is, there's no question that the, the folks behind this, and it's basically being run out of the Georgetown University Climate Center, the folks behind this, their goal actually is to completely eliminate fossil fuels. And again, that's that's the movement. That's that's you know that's what you're hearing is everybody wants 100% clean energy. They want you to have an electric car. They don't want you to have a gasoline car, a diesel car. They don't want you to be running trucks on diesel. So their goal is to completely eliminate these, these fuels within the next couple of decades. Well, um, the um, are there other fees involved? You mentioned fees. I know he's priding himself on. Uh, hey, he wants to eliminate the um, inspections and. Uh, cut the registration fee and all that. Wow, we might save, what, $30 or something like that. Meanwhile, we're paying hundreds more in added gas taxes. But does he have any other hidden fees in, um, or does any of the proposed legislation have any other increases in fees or taxes aside from I think, the gas? I think, again, you've heard about the cigarette tax and you've heard about the gasoline tax. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have not seen anything myself. During the General Assembly meetings two weeks ago, the governor's people were asked directly, is there anything in the budget we haven't, you haven't mentioned? And they said no. So, so we'll hold, it, hold them to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it, it's, it's a multi-hundred-page document. It's being read closely, and there may be some surprises. And, of course, just because the governor puts it in, there's, it's not the only way to create a tax or a fee. The General Assembly itself can create tax fees, and there will be many bills. Mm-hmm. creating taxes and fees. And but, that's what I was, my next question. Yeah. Can you give us a little preview of some of the some of the bills you've seen to that um, effect? Well, again, uh, I, I haven't been studying them. I don't want to be, I don't want to claim that I know what's coming. And I think it, some of the fun stuff tends to hold till the end. Mm-hmm. I, I, I would, it, there's been, there was a lot of talk during the General Assembly. And one of the things the Democrats did say they didn't, they weren't talking about big time tax increases. Uh, I would expect to see some bills that may raise some rates in Virginia. I certainly would expect to see some bills creating various fees. I, I don't see a general tax increase this session. I do think a general tax increase may have to come. They, the, the big increase, they've got plenty of money, and they've mm-hmm. got more money than they've had probably in 20 years. 
And that's principally because, A, the economy is doing so well, and B, because of the Trump tax cuts two years ago. Right. When the, when the federal tax changes were made two years ago, that had an impact on the state. What cut the federal revenue actually increased state revenue. That's why last year we were pushing hard for the state to give it back. Right. And we passed some legislation, and the Thomas Jefferson Institute had some proposals, some of which got adopted, uh, to, to give some of the money back. So you had you had the one-time payment, and then this year your standard deduction increased. And that's a good way to give it back is to raise the standard deduction. But but the final thing we did in that bill in 2000, you know, back earlier this year, was to create a fund and say anything anything that's coming in from the federal tax reform that Virginia didn't didn't you know is receiving because of those federal tax reforms should go into a special set aside account for future tax refunds. And there was going to be hundreds of millions of dollars in that fund for the 2020 General Assembly. Well, the governor took it all away. Right. The governor's budget eliminates that entire taxpayer relief fund, puts all the money back into the budget, three, four hundred million dollars in the first cycle. And what they passed in 2019 did nothing about the corporate side, the business side. So Virginia is about to see the biggest corporate tax increase it's ever had. And it's never been voted on directly because it just happened. It happened through the federal change. Mm. So, so again, they don't have to pass a bill to raise taxes. They just have to stand there and smile. Right. And the tax increase happened automatically. That's a, in their world. That's the best scenario. They don't have to it take is. the heat. And, um... There's no roll call. Yeah, right. They don't have to point to a roll call. And, you know, the roll call was a roll call to give it back. They all voted to give it back, and then the governor took it away in the budget. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think the change in leadership in, a, in a, like the two money committees in the House and the, the combined money committee in the Senate, um, is that going to change anything? Will that any effect in, in like like with me <laughs> being new to this radio thing? I'm learning as I'm going on. Are these people that are taking over the reins of the committee? Is, there gonna, is that going to cause any rough uh, waters where they might not be able to get what they want to do because it's all new to them and managing a majority and and the committee well, and structure see, and all that? You've seen a fair amount of stability in the staff, and those committees are very staff-driven. They have they have several professional staff, people who have been there for 15, 20, in some cases even longer years, who know these processes, who know the bills, who know who know uh, know where the money is hidden. Mm-hmm. And 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 the head of the House Committee staff changed. Mr. Mr. Vaughn uh, was basically uh, you know retired politely, right? And a new, but the person coming in has been there for years. She knows it very well. I've seen no changes of any consequence on the Senate side. I gotcha. I think I think the Senate Finance Committee will run very much the same. It has been a collegial, you know, whether that's good or bad. You know, both the, the Republicans and the Democrats on that committee have worked very well together, and there's been a lot of consensus on that committee. I think I think you'll see some changes, but not many. I think you'll see more changes on the House side. Uh, while there was a good working relationship on the House side, there was much more of a ideological divide between the Democrats and the Republicans. Uh, so I think you'll see the House right. Appropriations Committee um, move further into some of these progressive causes than they have in the past. Well, Steve, um, thank you for your time this afternoon. Um, that's some great insights. And uh, I'll love to have you back the next time I do this. Um, we got a break coming up. We got to go. But thanks for everything. And um, keep your eye on and, that and stuff for us. I call anytime, Steve. All right. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks. Bye. All right, folks. You're listening to 92.7 FM, 820 AM, WNTW. 
And uh, this is not your father's talk station. This is Steve Rossi subbing for the Lee Brothers, and we'll be back after this break. Tired of talk show hosts that think they know everything? Call Scott and Richard Lee, the Lee Brothers, on 820 WNTW. said that Castro was making a speech to a large assembly, and he was going on at great length, and then a voice out in the crowd said, peanuts, popcorn, Cracker Jack, and he went on speaking, and again the voice said, peanuts, popcorn, Cracker Jack, And about the fourth time this happened, he stopped in his regular speech. And he said the next time he says that, he says, I'm going to find out who he is and kick him all the way to Miami. And everybody in the crowd said, peanuts, popcorn, Michael Jack. Welcome back, everyone. This is Steve Rossi sitting in for Scott and Richard Lee, the Lee Brothers on 92.7 FM and 820 AM. WNTW, the answer. And this is certainly not your father's talk station. And uh, producer Mark never fails to exceed expectations. That, I've never even heard that one before. That's terrific. That's a great joke. I'll tell that tonight. Hopefully get a couple of laughs out of that. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But um, this is Steve Rossi sitting in for the Lee Brothers. And be sure to check out the website at WNTWTheAnswer.com and uh, check out all the great things on the station's website. You can click on the Lee Brothers link and check out there. Um, that'll direct you to their website where you can see all sorts of great videos and uh, articles and commentary. And if uh, it behooves you, you can follow me at S Rossi. That's S-R-O-S-S-I-E on Twitter or at Stephen Jude Rossi on Facebook. And that's Stephen with the P-H. And um, we thank you for joining us. We've um, got about nine minutes left to, to finish this up. There's a lot of little loose ends we can go over. First of all, I want to reiterate it. I hope everyone has had a Merry Christmas. And it's not just Christmas Day. It's a, Christmas is a season. At least that's the way I was brought up. And so um hope everyone is enjoying a wonderful Christmas season and truly into the uh, the uh, meaning of Christmas and the taking enjoying the peace and serenity of it and reflecting on it. And, um, and what it means and uh, kind of shunning the commercialism for a little bit and just taking some time to um, re-energize with your friends and family and re- make all those connections and draw closer to the people in your lives that really matter. And, um, and I hope everyone has a happy New Year as we approach that and, uh, and be safe out there. Um, and before it gets away, I want to thank, um, we still have a few minutes, but I know I'm going to forget it, so I'll say it now. Thanks to producer Mark, who's just done a phenomenal job, and to um, all the staff here at WNTW. They make me feel really at home. They've uh, done a lot of hand-holding last time, and this time not as much, but they're still there. I know they're there backing me up in case something happens, which is very possible with me. But um, So um, hope everyone is uh, enjoying this show. We try to do something just a little bit different, and um, hope you enjoyed our guests. Um, going back to the General Assembly real quick. Um, Steve Hayner, who's just with us from the Thomas Jefferson Institute, talked about the colossal tax increases that will be coming down our way, um, which we might not even have any say in. The legislature might not do anything about it. Governor Northam himself may ramrod it through some sort of extra legal means, in which case I actually hope that's the route he goes, because then we can go to court, and I'm sure that could get thrown out. But um, uh 
We'll see how it all shakes out. The Democrats are not going to be afraid to vote for a tax increase. It's who they are. And doesn't mean we don't put pressure on them. We do everything we can and we will do everything we can. But um, expect expect the price of gas to go up and ex- expect some other things to to happen. Like Steve said, they can keep uh, the money that was supposed to be returned to us without even having to take a vote. So that's going to be interesting. There are two categories of bills. Um, well, there's more categories of bills, but there's two in particular I like to talk about. There's the crazy bills, and then there's the seriously crazy bills that happen each year during the General Assembly. And you hear about a lot of them. I mean, years ago, there was the Droopy Drawers bill, and you have bills like that. You know, there's the crazy bills, right? They're just the, these little wild hair things that get out there for some reason. You know, a couple of years ago, there was the bill about um, uh, dog sitting, and uh, there was all sorts of bills that, that, you know, if you just scratch your head, like, doesn't this legislator have something better to do than come with some out-of-the-blue um, crazy bill? Those are kind of harmless in the big scheme of things. But then there's the seriously crazy bills, the ones that are so crazy, they um, can really, if they ever got passed, they could <laughs> affect some serious damage. And unfortunately, that's what we have. You know, these bills that would never get the time of day, they'd be killed in subcommittee. Um, they might even be withdrawn because there was so much heat. Um but these things are serious now, and a lot of them are going to get passed and signed into law. It's crazy. I mean, you know, we were talking about art and our culture earlier with uh, Philip Bowles from um, Franciscan University. You know, we're facing the statues coming down all over the Commonwealth. You know, people want to whitewash history. And no one's saying that um, – and um, no one is – excuse me, I'm still getting used to the back and forth with the – with producer Mark. So sorry for the pause there, but you know, we have statues that'll be coming, you know, legislation that's going to take local uh, state authority away and devolve it to the locality. So you have these crazy localities like Charlottesville that are going to take away the statues and, you know, no one's preaching anything bad. We just want history to be reckoned and learn from history. Same people say we doomed to uh, repeat the mistakes of history. If we don't study it, want to take away the statues. What better way to learn history than these sorts of things. Anyway, we have a lot of, um, a lot of, and then we have a call, so I'm not going to get into all the crazy bills, maybe after this, but we have a call from Oliver. And uh, go ahead, Oliver. Loved, uh, thanks for calling in. And the floor thanks, is yours. I think, Lord have mercy, I could go on all night long with the statues and everything else. But, the, uh, you know, when you start talking about this, Mr. Northam, I, I mean, I'm going to respect him and call him Governor Northam because he is our governor. But, he has lost all his biblical sense. He talks about on the radio how he would, you know, take a child out of the woman, talk to the child to the child's mother for an hour, and then snap its spine. Mm-hmm. He's a pediatrician, right? Right. You know, Lord have mercy, man. What in the world? Hey, Oliver, know, just to give you a heads up. up. Just give you a heads up. We have about 20 seconds. I'm going to hold you over the break, but I just, you know, we'll have to cut you off for a second and keep you on hold, but I'll have you back. But you're exactly right. Um, and one of the bills I was going to get to is the abortion on demand bill that created such a controversy last year. That'll come back. They'll dress it up so it won't sound as bad, but it's going to have the same content in it. And that's something we need to work out, uh, look out for too. But Oliver, would you, could you hold on and we'll get back to you after the break? Sure. All right. Hold on. We're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. You're listening to 92.7 FM, 820 AM. This is not your father's talk station. We'll be back after this message.
James Madison and George Washington would be so proud. The Lee Brothers on 820 WNTW. All right, this is Steve Rossi substituting for Scott and Richard Lee. We're coming close to the end. Oliver, I want you to wrap up if you can do it in a minute. And uh, floor is yours. Tell us what, what else you have on your mind. Well, you know, I think you can do better than I can, brother. I just wanted to say uh, I think Ralph Northam, Northrum, Mr. Governor Ralph Northam, is about the worst governor that I've ever seen. And that, you know, don't get, don't, you know, we can go on and on about the guns and everything else he wants to do. And the Democratic Party is right behind him. I mean, but Lord of day. How can you be a pediatrician and get on the radio and talk about killing a child that has been born already? I mean, all right, I'm going to get off something right. here. Well, I'll tell you something else. You, you know, the Democrats hounded him to resign in February, and in October they were taking his money for their campaigns. But that's old news. You know, that what's happened has happened. Well, look here. Look here. I was in, I, you know, I'm, I used to date a girl down there where he's from. You know, on the on the uh, eastern shore, and uh, went to the same college. Uh, I don't want to get too into it, but uh, the fella uh, that I was, the girl that I was dating, you know, her uh, brother-in-law went to the same college, and once he started talking about this crazy abortion stuff that he said, that's when all that blackface stuff came out. Mm-hmm. Now he was probably in the same college with him. Had the same book. I I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past that the man that I know is the one that said, "Look what this you know, you know." But the blackface, right. None of that matters. None of that matters because the Democrats they love uh, killing babies. I don't know what to say. We're up against a hard break. I went long in a previous segment. Thanks for calling. Thanks for your patience. We'll get to you another time. Feel free to call back next week when Scott and Richard are here. And, uh, folks, it's been an honor to sit in here for Scott and Richard. I um, had big shoes to fill. I had two pairs of big shoes to fill. I hope I did an okay job. Tune into the Lee Brothers next week from 4 to 6 on WNTW 92.7 FM and 820 AM. And Happy New Year, everyone. My friends, we did it. We weren't just marking time. We made a difference. We made the city stronger, we made the city freer, and we left her in good hands. All in all, not bad.